really good to be here this morning. Nice to see you. Um, As Leon said, my name is Laura. We are going to have some fun this morning, I am hoping. Um, First of all, I'm going to pray because I'm speaking, as you have probably guessed by now, on water being turned into wine. It is one of my favourite passages in the gospel and that means I'm going to get excited. I might talk about it a lot. So I probably need to pray about this because you could be here all week. Um, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will be in this place this morning. Lord God, uh, we ask that you would speak to us, Father. I pray that we might be transformed through this morning. Lord God, um, we just want you, like what I've got to say doesn't really matter because all we really want is you, Father God. So we just pray that your spirit as I'm speaking now will just be working throughout this room. Uh, speaking to us, speaking into our hearts, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just blow our minds. Amen. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Um, So, uh, as I said, uh, we are looking at water into wine this morning. The um, theme over the last few weeks, if you haven't been here, um, is the idea based on the TV show Come Dine With Me. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen that program, but the idea is that this is person, and they cook food, like they cook a meal, they cook something they're really passionate about, they put the invites out, people come round to dinner, uh, they share this food that they're passionate about with them, and then they mark them out of 10. Now, I've already had suggestions this morning that I'm getting marks out of 10 at the end of my talk, so I don't want to encourage too many of you to be doing that. Um, Feel free for feedback, but please don't let it detract from the talk. Um, And they go round and they do that. Now, the idea of this is kind of saying, do you know what? I think Jesus, God has invited us to a table with him, that he wants to spend time with us, that he wants to come, uh, us to come and to share with us, share what some of the things that are on his heart are, share with us some of the things that he is passionate about. But the question is, are we hungry for that? Are we hungry to spend that time with God? And are we hungry to hear what is actually on God's heart? So that is the challenge. And this morning, um, as has already been said a lot, uh, we're looking at wine, um, a hunger for transformation. And so we will be looking at John 2, uh, verses 1 to 11 in a second. Now, the reason I love this passage is because it's Jesus' first miracle. It's the first thing he does, like publicly, to say, hey, I'm the son of God. So we're kind of always getting this first impression. What is it that God wants the people to know about Jesus? Because first impressions are important. You get a lot from a first impression. Unfortunately, my first impressions aren't always that good. I try to give off an air um, that I might be one way, but unfortunately, usually I get found out. For example, um, a couple of years ago, uh, you'll be glad to know, before I was married, I was going out with this guy. And uh, we, we were going out, and it was my first year of uni, and I went round to his parents' house for a meal, and it was the first time I'd met them. So I was on, like, best behaviour, because they are nice people, like, really nice, polite people. So I'm trying to be nice, I'm trying to be polite. You know, you laugh at the jokes, you're trying to just look like you're a generally great person. And we're sat around eating Sunday lunch, and then someone said something that was genuinely really, really funny, and it totally took me by surprise. And I laughed, and as I laughed, my food fell back out of my mouth, and onto my plate and everyone's just looking at me I was just there was nothing you can't recover from that you just have to move on it's like plow forwards um another one when I started working um well I I came initially to meet with Leon about working for FaZe I had no idea who Leon was I didn't know I didn't know what he looked like um so I pulled up in my car and I didn't realize that Leon was stood outside talking to someone at the bottom of the steps 
So I drive my car around and I am horrendous at parking. I mean horrendous. And I drove my car around the corner into the side car park and spent what can only be described as an awkward amount of time trying to get into a very normal parking space. I'm kind of reversing, going forward, reversing. I get out of the car, walk around, and the first thing that Leon ever says to me is a comment on how bad my parking is. So I'm, I'm still working through that, if I'm honest. Um, <clears throat> So, we are looking this morning at what is Jesus' first impression? What is it that God wants us to understand when Jesus is like, right, I'm on the scene? And I think it's a story of transformation. I think it's an incredible story of transformation. So, we shall read. Um, We're going from John 2, as I said before, verses 1 to 11. Now, the way I'm going to do this is, first of all, as many talks are going to be in three parts, You'll all be pleased to know. And uh, the first part, we're going to just stomp around in the Bible for a bit. We're going to say, okay, God, what is your idea of transformation? When you talk about transformation, God, what do you mean? Secondly, we're then going to ask, are you guys, are we hungry for that transformation? And thirdly, we're going to ask, how hungry are we for that transformation when it comes down to it? So let us begin. Uh, John 2, verses 1 to 11 says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much wine to drink. But you've saved the best till now. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Oh, I love that story. Do you know, there's so much in there. So I'm just going to try and like skip through a little bit, really, because we could be here all all week. Um, First of all, right, Jesus turns up to this wedding. Now, the wedding, it says, is in an area of Cana in Galilee. Now, this area wasn't too well off. So we're kind of thinking that the wedding wasn't being held by someone who was particularly well off. Maybe they didn't have a lot of money, which might explain why they ran out of wine, wedding on a budget. So um, there's this family who aren't particularly well off having their wedding, and all of a sudden, the wine runs out. Now, these weddings would have lasted a really long time. A wedding would have probably lasted about a week, and this particular feast would have taken all day. They loved it. So they're they're there and this runs out and Mary goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, the wine's run out. Oh no. And they have this little interaction. And then Jesus says, okay, do you know what? I'm going to do something about this. Now, wine in Jewish culture was really, really important. There's a phrase um, that Jewish rabbis, so like Jewish teachers would say, that says, "Without without wine, there is no joy. Now, I am not saying drunkenness is a good thing. I'm not saying we should all drink too much. That is not what this means. I will explain what this means. What I am saying is that in Jewish culture, wine meant something. It represented something. And uh, if, 
if they'd have run out of wine, there would have been some serious consequences. You see, being hospitable in Jewish culture was also very important. So if you couldn't host, particularly at a wedding, and you run out of something, that was really bad. That would have brought shame on the whole community. They would have really been in for it. But also, if they'd have run out of wine, they could have actually got fined for that. Can you imagine? Fined. Like, Yes, people run your house, you run out of Doritos, you get a fine. Can you believe that? Fine. So when Jesus transforms his water into wine, he's not just talking about transformation, but actually God's shown a bit of his heart there. Saying, do you know what? These guys, they could have been like fined and all sorts and bad things. And actually my heart's for them. I don't want them to have to go through that. So I'm going to provide. So that's just a, that's just a side note. That's how good this passage is. Just a side. So Jesus is there. He's like, right, we need some wine. Okay. Looks around. Wine, wine, wine. He sees these six stone pots. Now it says in the passage that these are like um, ceremonial kind of washing pots. And in Jewish law, you had to be clean and kind of cleanse yourself before you came to a meal. So one of the things that these big stone pots would use for, they would be, have water in them. People would arrive with muddy shoes, toe fluff, etc. And they would wash their feet in this water. So that's one thing. Okay, and then throughout the meal, you'd have to wash your hands. I don't know whether they realised that they'd wash their feet in this as well, but I don't think that matters. So they then have to wash their hands between the courses. So they'd then wash their hands in this water. Some people even think that they would then wash the dishes in this water afterwards. Can you imagine what this water looks like? Not good. That's all I'm going with. Just not good. And so they've got this dirty, nasty water. And in John, he mentions how many pots there are. And he says there are six pots. This is really important. In John, it's all about the detail. You see, in the Bible, when you read seven, you know that seven means it's perfect. If you're reading a Bible story and the number seven crops up, you know things are going well. You see six, not quite seven bad things. So we've got this dirty, nasty water. Not only is it unclean and filthy and horrible, but there's only six pots of them. So he's like, this is the worst of the worst. And Jesus takes this, takes this nasty, dirty, worst of the worst, broken, unclean, horrible, and he transforms it. And he transforms it into wine. Now, wine also represents something in the Bible. When you read about wine, it's kind of a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of something new. Uh, It's a symbol of the kingdom of God. So he takes the dirty, used, nasty, disgusting, and he transforms it. He transforms it into wine. And not just any wine, but the best wine. And God says, you want to know what a first impression of me is? It's this. I'm about transformation. Transformation of the broken, the dirty, the used into something incredible. You know, I see some, um, some paintings of Jesus when he's supposed to have done this. And it's like Jesus is standing there with a jug of wine. And uh, when I look at that, I kind of feel very similar to how I feel when my husband gets himself a drink and doesn't bother getting me one. I feel like, all right, yeah, sorted yourself out, have you? Good work. And Jesus is like, well, I've got mine. I've got mine. But that isn't how it worked. You see, all the reason for these whole bottles, and I would like to thank everybody, by the way, literally, people were chasing recycling vans down the street to get these wines. I'm very gra- these wine bottles, I'm very grateful. Um, there's about 228 wine bottles here. Now, I'm, I'm awful at maths, absolutely awful, but I tried to work out a kind of average of what Jesus, the amount that Jesus would have transformed. And um, it's kind of vague in the Bible anyway, but I think... It's around 350 bottles of wine. So this is 228. You know, when Jesus talks about transformation, he doesn't talk about a little bit of change. 
He doesn't talk about, and I'll make a bit of a difference. He talks about super abundant transformation, 180 degree turnarounds. He talks about actually making a difference, making a difference so much that it could have only been changed that much because God was in it. Is that what we think of when we think of God's transformation? Super abundant transformation. You know, the other thing I love about this passage um, is the role of the servants. I think it's brilliant. So the servants are there, and they are like the lowest of the low. It's like, who would even bother with them? Who will bother talking to them? They are horrible. So no one would talk to them. They will be ignored. They wouldn't really be thought of that highly, probably. And do you know, you read this passage, and they are the only ones who see what Jesus does. Everyone else is like, oh, great, more wine. Way. But actually, the servants are the ones that see the transformation. The servants are the ones that see Jesus doing what he's doing. It's actually to them that Jesus says, look, I am the son of God. And Jesus chooses to use them. That's incredible. Like, he didn't need the servants to help him out with that. He could have done it himself, but he chose to use the servants. He said, you know what? You take these stone jars, go fill them to the brim, bring them back. Jesus prayed over it. He transformed it. Jesus does the transformation himself. And then he says, now go and take this to the master of ceremonies. He chose to use the servants. And you know what? I think for those servants, that was quite significant because there will have been a cost there for them. Because I don't know at what point uh, this water will have transformed into wine. I mean, it could well be that he's like, oh, right, get a cup, pick it up. Oh, bread and mackerel. Nice, I'll take it. And so the master ceremonies, bits of bread are floating in it, he drinks it and it's fine. I don't know at what point it was transformed. But do you know it will have taken a bit of faith for those servants to have done that? How much more will God want us to be servants in agents of change and transformation in this world. He says to us, come on, roll your sleeves up, get involved. Let's do this together. I'll do the transformation, but I'm choosing to use you. Oh, my word. Do you know, last thing, I promise I'll move on from the passage. We're getting there. The thing that scares me most about this passage, the thing that totally blows my mind, that actually really does concern me in some ways, is verse 5. Where Mary turns to the servants. They know that something needs to happen, that Jesus is going to do something incredible. Mary turns around and just says, do you know what? Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever it takes. Huge. We're going to come back to that because that's quite a big point. Okay, so that's kind of what we're thinking when God's talking about transformation. He talks about taking the broken, the nasty, the used, transforming it into wine, the best wine, something new, something incredible, something of the kingdom of God, and not just a bit, but super abundant transformation. Now, I'm going to ask for your help. I am going to, a bit of interaction here, so I'm warning you so that you can just warm yourselves up mentally for getting involved. Um, I'm going to ask a question. The question is... um, What do you want to see super abundantly transformed about this world? Where do you want to see God do some super abundant transformation in this world? Because I think, in a second, I'm going to come to you then. If you raise your hand, get involved, raise your hand. I'm going to come to you and ask, then you say, and we'll say it down the microphone. Just warning you, so start thinking. Um, I think that God will put different things on people's hearts because God stirs up different hungers in different kinds of people. And I think maybe if that's something you're hungry about this morning, I kind of like you to think, is this something that God's calling me to be a servant in? Calling me to be an agent of change in this area. So are you ready for some of you to raise your hands? I would like to ask the question, so spontaneous, 
What would you like to see super abundantly transformed in this world? Feel free, anyone, to raise your hands. Yes, go, Tim. Okay, come down. Oh, it's like some adventure program. Okay, what do you think? Equalise the wealth of the whole country, whole world. Brilliant. Equalise the wealth of the whole world. Anyone else? Oh, at the back. Coming down. That was Superman, by the way. Yeah. I would love to see all the children and young people uh, just really find Jesus and be protected and nurtured and loved. Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. Anyone else? We're going to go with one more. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, two more. We've got another hand. Okay. Yeah. Human trafficking to stop. Brilliant. End of human trafficking. Oh, we've got two. Okay, I'm going, can you keep your hands up? I'm, com- I'm coming over. Okay, where were we over here? Someone had their hand up over here. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I got all assuming it was near the front. Here we go. Broken families. Brilliant. Healing of broken families. Last one. You're making me work this morning. I shouldn't have worn knitwear. <sighs> Hang on. Coming over. Yeah. I would love to see women become the women that God made them to be. Incredible. Absolutely amazing. Do you know what? There's so much about this world that needs transformation. And I think God's calling us to that. I really think he is. I think there's something about human nature, just humans, every human, that says, do you know what? Things aren't the way they're meant to be. Things need to be transformed. How many of you guys watch Children in Need? Yeah, quite a few of you. Awesome. Um, I watched that. I actually got in late to watching that. Uh, I started watching it about an hour and a half in. And the legend that is Terry Wogan um, said about an hour and a half in, um, okay, we've reached 19 million, da 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 And the point he made was that that was the amount that they'd raised by the end of the night the year before. Isn't that incredible? That an hour and a half in, in this economic climate, they had reached the total that they'd reached at the end of the night from the year before. Amazing. Do you know, I think the reason for that is that in those video clips that you watch, where you watch people's stories, you watch the pain, the brokenness, you see um, what some of these children and families have gone through, and you sit there and you go, do you know what, there's something about this that isn't right. There's something about this that is not right. And then they move on, and then they show how, how the money given previously has transformed that person's situation. Now they can have the medicine they need. Now they can have support. Now they can be healed. Now that they can have someone with them who understands what they're going through. And people say, do you know, I want to be a part of that transformation. I want to be a part of that change. And because it's the language that, that our nation understands, people give money. Because that's the only response, really, I think people know in a sense. So they give. And there's always a hunger for that. There's always a hunger in people to say, do you know what, things, things aren't, aren't the way they should be. But if that's the nation's response, what should our response be as a church? What should our response be as the people of God? Because I think it should be something. You know, you can't just see that and go, oh, shame. We are called to do something about that, to be agents of change, to be servants in that situation. So I would like to ask you, are you hungry for that? Are you really hungry for transformation? 
And when I say hungry, I mean hungry, like really hungry. I get hungry. I love food. And when I'm hungry, I can't think about anything else. I really can't. It gets in my head. I get tired. I get grumpy. The only time I've really argued with my husband is the day we chose to fast. I just, I can't, if I don't eat, you know about it. Um, And when I'm hungry, literally, it's my focus. Are we hungry for transformation? Do we think about it? Not just when we're in church, not just when we're in a nice place surrounded by Christians, but does it consume us? Does it travel with us? Do you feel it? Because I think the danger is that actually we've become numb. I think the danger is that we're so used to seeing brokenness, so used to see hurting and pain in our families and our friends, with the people we work with and in our own lives, that you kind of begin to think, well, that's just how it is. That's just how things are. And you feel sad about it, but you're not hungry for for change. When you watch the news at night, you kind of watch it and think, oh, that's such a shame. And then you just turn over and watch something else. I'm going to... we're going to be playing a video clip in a second. But as we watch this, I, just, I want you to ask yourself the question really honestly. Are you hungry for transformation? When you look at our world, what do you see? Or is it that you've just gone a bit numb? So when you look at our world, what is it that you see? Are you hungry for transformation? Or actually, have we just kind of become numb? Do you know, that was quite an emotive video. But if you watched that and you just felt sad, then actually that's not quite it either. That's not quite what God's asking of us, to feel sad about this stuff. The question is, when you look at that and you watch it, are you hungry for transformation? Do you believe that those situations can be transformed? War, poverty pain that girl's story and okay she was an actress but that is some people's story do you believe that in those situations they can't just change a little bit but we're talking about super abundant transformation do you believe that God's capable of that because you know sometimes you hear so much bad stuff so many problems with the world so much pain that actually our God seems to shrink in comparison to them has that happened because you know transformation is possible it's all the bad stuff we hear. Um, my husband went to a conference last weekend and he heard a stat. Oh, my word. It was amazing. Best stat of the, I don't know, year, something, decade. You can decide. Basically, it was this guy on the stage and he told this. That in 1981, 52% of the world was in extreme poverty. Today, in 2011, 26% of the world is an extreme poverty. Do you know what that means? Within one generation, we could see the end of extreme poverty. Oh my word. There are teenagers in here, loads of teenagers. I like you all. In their lifetime, they could see the end of extreme poverty. That's incredible. That is super abundant transformation, the end of extreme poverty. Do you know what? I'm a youth worker. I'm totally biased towards teenagers. I like them a lot. But I think teenagers are great. I think teenagers have something, and I think the teenagers in this church have something. And if they don't have this, teenagers, I want you to get on your knees and pray that God will give you this. You know, when I was a teenager, I had a belief that things could be different. When I was a teenager, I believed that this world could be transformed. Teenagers have got this incredible passion and belief to say, do you know what, why not? 
Why can't God do that? Why can't my God transform this world? And you know what? As a teenager, I think that was my greatest strength. Because I think as adults, we've got a lot to learn from those teenagers. I think as you, as you get older, you get cynical. Teenagers, watch out for that. You get cynical and you start to go, oh, well, you know, Jesus changes things sometimes. Do you know what? Jesus isn't called for things to be changed sometimes. He calls for super abundant transformation. And I know when I was a teenager, I believed that that was true. Teenagers, if you don't have that, youth, then please pray for it. Because as a church, we need you to have that attitude because we need to learn from you. Adults, let's pray it back in. Do you know what? God wants to transform this world. And it won't transform overnight, but we can transform this world one life at a time. I could tell a very moving story now about starfish, but I think Leon's already covered it. You know, I think in this world, one life at a time, things can be changed. I'm going to show another video clip in a second. And this is a story of individual lives that have been transformed through compassion. And I know that the youth in this church sponsor a compassion uh, young person, compassion child. Now, youth, I don't know whether you really know that or you care or you give money to it or you know the name of this person. But I want you to watch this video. I'm looking over here because a lot of youth are sat there as well. I know there are some other places. Um, Listen to these stories. Every single one of these stories is a story of a life transformed. But every single story is a life transformed by a teenager. Okay. It was lunchtime. We were sitting around a table and we were all holding hands. And my father was praying for the lunch that we were about to eat. But there was only one problem. (laughs) Our table was empty. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were not able to have food at all. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. No toilets. A lot of crime. No running water. Rape for children. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids dying for preventable causes. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. One morning, I just woke up that, you know, my uncle is just touching me in some parts of my body that I just thought to myself that this can't be happening. One day, my father was murdered right next to my mother. And I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. My relatives would always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing, and I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she's the only Christian person that I know during that time, she woke me up and said that we have to go to this church and she registered me. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. He told me, you are my first friend. 
outside my continent. She said words like Richmond, I love you. And that lightened me up. My sponsor told me, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. 18 years later, here I am. A child rescued from hopelessness by a young person. My life was changed. My life was changed. My life was changed. By a teenager who sponsored me. One teenager changed my life. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. And one act saved my life. And one act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. does oh i'm all right do you know we can do this this world can be transformed one life at a time god about this this is what he does super abundant transformation wow but you know the challenging thing is that that sort of transformation needs to start in us first that this world can only be transformed when we are transformed. In Romans 12:2, it talks about no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and approve God's will. This has to start with us. And are you hungry for that? Are you hungry not only for this world to be transformed, but for ourselves to be transformed? We're transformed that our world might also be transformed. Okay. So finally, and very quickly, how hungry are you? I mean, really, how hungry are you for this? I want to go right back to that verse that I said at the beginning, verse 5. Mary says to the servants, and do whatever he tells you. And I think today that is really the challenge for us. You see, I think all transformation takes place because of Jesus. We don't do any transforming ourselves. We can't actually change a thing. But the servants filled up the water bowls. They took them to Jesus. Jesus transformed them and then the servants delivered them. It's Jesus that does the transformation. But I think that we have a choice to make in that transformation. Are we going to get involved? You see, I think that God wants to transform us. I think he wants to shape us. But to be transformed and to be shaped, we've got to let him shape us. Does that make sense? You with me? I'm going to tell you a very, very quick story uh, about myself. It may seem a little odd and strange to some of you. I'm okay with that. Uh, I know before now I've been stood here on the stage of big signs around my neck saying, oh, we've all got to be vulnerable. So here we go. Uh, and hopefully you will understand the sentiment behind the story, even if the story itself seems a little odd. Um, I'm not familiar. Like, I don't know how familiar you guys are with fake tan. I'm going to fill you in. Don't worry. Um, fake tan is this like cream in a bottle that you can buy and you can have it sprayed on you or you can rub it into your skin and effectively it dyes your skin and makes you orange. It makes you look like you're tanned. And the bonus is you smell of biscuits for days. So, you know, winner all round really. Um, I started using fake tan when I was in university and I used to kind of just use it occasionally, use it when I was going out, that kind of thing. 
And uh, I really liked using it. I thought it made me look better. So I started using it occasionally. And then I started using it every week because I thought, wow, it's a problem. Makes me look better. Great. And the more I did it, the more I decided that I didn't like what I looked without the fake tan on. I didn't really like the colour of my skin, actually. I thought when I don't wear fake tan, I look a little bit tired, look a little bit sick, uh, grey, not really good. So I, di- I, I like to have fake tan on all the time because I didn't like, like I say, what I looked like when I didn't have it on. And uh, I began more and more to feel like that. And uh, I started then applying it more regularly. I would apply fake tan three times a week. It got to the point where I thought, you know what, if I don't look right, if I don't look good, then I think actually it's less likely that other people will like me as well. So really, if I look better, then I'm more likely for other people to accept me and like me. So three times a week, I would smell of biscuits, which basically meant that I always smelled of biscuits, uh, and I would look orange. And, you know, that was how I rolled. And I would, I remember, I went on, I went camping and I, oh silly Laura, I, I took this fake tan and I hid it in my bag to go camping with and um, in the middle of the night, I, when everyone else had gone to sleep, I would sneak to the toilet, apply my fake tan all over, get back into bed. In the morning, I'd get up before everyone else had woken up, go and shower and I'd just wake up tanned. Miraculous, really, in some ways. And uh, I realised that I didn't want to be seen without this fake tan on and I began to realise... That the way that I saw myself was very, very dependent on my appearance and not dependent upon what God thought of me and how God saw me. And I just felt God put his finger on that very, very gently. And you know, it was in a way that if I'd have chosen to, I could have very easily ignored him saying it. And he just said, Laura, should you be wearing fake tan? I was like, oh, flip it heck. So I stopped. I stopped wearing fake tan and for a while I hated it. I really hated it. But now at this point, I'm only like nine months into pale living. But nine months on, it's all right, let's embrace it, people. I realise that I'm free. Do you know what? It, I, I'm telling you, guys, it just sounds so stupid. But actually, something that started incredibly small, incredibly small, turned into something much bigger in my life. It turned into something that altered my thinking. And I think Jesus said, I want you to let go of that because I want to transform you. I want to transform how you see yourself. And it was my choice as to whether I let go. And I think this morning, God is asking, how hungry are you? Are you hungry enough that there's some things that you'll let go of in order to be transformed? And there could be some things that are very, very small at the moment. But you just know deep down that there could be a problem there. Hey, maybe it's fake tan. Maybe it's that you know that you actually you do drink too much. Maybe it's that you know you watch things that you shouldn't watch. Maybe you know that there's a certain uh, way that you speak about people, certain language that you use that you shouldn't be using. Maybe it's the way you think about people. Maybe there's someone that you know deep in your heart you haven't forgiven that you need to. And this morning I wonder, is God just putting his finger on that? Just saying it in a way that you can choose to listen or not. But he is asking the question, how hungry are you for transformation, really? So I think when it comes to cost, kind of is a different ballgame, isn't it? When we realise we're risking something for it. And especially on a bigger scale, you know, if we're saying, okay, yeah, let's end world poverty, yes! And then you read your Bible, and all of a sudden you're reading it, and you think, oh my word. You feel like God has said to you, I meant what I said when I said, sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. I'm not having a theological debate about whether he meant it or not. I'm just saying, what if? 
What if you read your Bible and felt God say that to you? What if you felt God say, okay, you're passionate about that group of people, leave your job and go work with them? Are you serious? When it comes to a cost, how hungry are you for transformation? And I'm just going to finish on this. The thing that does my head in about God, we're going to sort it out, don't worry, I've got, I'm going to have words, is that God gets me to a point where I'm comfortable and then he'll just push me a little bit further. He'll just take me a little bit further than I'm comfortable with. And I'm sat there and I'm going, God, I know you're asking this of me. I'm not sure that I'm ready for this. And so me and God have kind of got a deal. I'll go, do you know what? I'm not at that point. I'm not at the point where I could say, fine, I will sell all that I have and I will give the money to the poor. But you know what, God? I'd really like to be at that point. I want to want it. And sometimes I think with God, when we know that he's given us a big challenge, we can say to him, okay, God, I want to want it. And you know what? I think God takes that. He goes, yeah, all right, we can work with that. Let's start there. And I wonder this morning for some of us, maybe we've heard all this stuff about super abundant transformation. We've, we've heard stuff about God wanting to change the world, wanting to transform the world and wanting to use you in it. And we're like, yes, I want to be a part of that. But maybe for some of us, we're kind of at a place where it's like, actually... I want to want it. I'm not there yet, but I really would love to be in a place where I could be a part of this. And do you know, I don't think it means that you have to be perfect before you do. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, are you willing for there to be a cost to be shaped, to be transformed? And so, I would really love to pray for anybody who feels that this morning God might have stirred something in them. To say, yeah, do you know what? I'm buying into this. I want to see this world transformed. I believe this can happen. But I also want to pray for the people that are kind of going, do you know what? I'd love to be a part of this, but I'm not quite there yet. I want to want this. And so I'm going to ask you to do something fairly brave. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Just so I can pray for you, really. Um, And I know who I'm praying for rather than wafting prayers around. So if you feel this morning that God might have challenged you on this, might have spoken to you about it, or you just want to want it. You want to be in a place where you go, God, whatever the cost, I will do whatever you tell me. Then I would really love it if you'd stand to your feet, please. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much for being brave. Lord God, this is a pretty big deal. Um, Father, just standing this morning, he's saying... God, I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm willing to get involved. Father, I pray that you would teach us what it is to see super abundant transformation. God, we are standing here this morning and saying, God, use us. Use me in this. God, I want to be an agent of change. I want to walk into places and places be different because I've been there. Father God, I pray that you would teach us what it is that is on our hearts to see transformed in this world, super abundantly transformed. And Father God, I pray that you would give us faith that we can be involved in super abundant transformation. Father God, I pray for the guys in here and girls that are just thinking, do you know what? I want to want it. Father God, take that part and I pray that you would shape us to be in a place where we're ready to let go of what needs to be let go of. Father God, we pray for transformation in this world. We pray for the end of extreme poverty. Father God, we pray for the end of trafficking. We pray that women um, would not be abused anymore. Father God, we pray that men would know what it is to be men. Father God, we pray that your church would rise up. Lord God, let us be a part of that. Father God, bring incredible, super abundant transformation in this world. But Father, start with us. 
pray, God, that this will be something that we carry with us, God. That as we're at home this afternoon and for a week, that this will be a message that sticks to us. In your name.